Hi, Jen. Good morning. How are you? 
Nice to see you. How are you doing? I'm okay. I had my hearing the other day and it it went like minimally good enough, I guess, but I had higher expectations and we're gonna go to trial. <laughs> so inevitable probably. Um, so my podcast is called Clay Tabernacles, which is about how we have bodies and a spirit. That's a clay tabernacle. And I'm using that in reference to what we're talking about, which are choices that individuals have to make in their mortal existence here on earth and how it affects people. Um, so you are a part of a recovery, face of recovery for um, abuse in a couple different ways, right? Um, well, I, I definitely focus more on how to handle the high conflict after a separation or divorce um, between parents and making sure that parents continue to focus on the best interest of their child. So I wouldn't say so much recovery, although that th does happen. It's more of st strategies on how to deal with the high conflict. Mm. And <clears throat> which I imagine there's healing involved just by changing choices or making better choices. And, um, and is this something that is, um, do you have, Sarah, a demand for this or? Yes, there's, un unfortunately, there's a very high demand because in our society, the divorce rate is, you know, really fluctuates right around about 50%. So, and a lot of those marriages have kids and some of the other dynamics that we experience in society, um, such as, you know, the lack of problem solving skills that are taught in, to us, you know, throughout our education um, and the lack of emotional regulation skills that are not taught to us throughout life in our education. And so when you have those, this combination of there's a lot of emotion that's going on because of a separation and divorce. Um, and then trying to make logical decisions in the best interest of the children. And really what happens is in our brain, it's really a spectrum of, you know, if we're more toward, if we're more emotional, then we're less logical. So it's helping these parents regulate their emotions and get them more to the logical part of the brain to make their decisions in the best interest of their children. And so that their children do not go on to have those long-term effects from divorce, because what the research has shown is that um, it's not necessarily divorce that leads to the long-term uh, effects of, of children of divorce, but it's more of the conflict or that continues between the parents, the ongoing conflict. So if we can get in and resolve that for these families and teach them how to emotionally regulate, teach them self-accountability as well, instead of continuing to point the finger at the other parents and how to handle some things that they may not agree with the other parent. And, um, 
you know, really be able to get back to focusing on their children, then their children are going to be great. And even if just one parent in that dynamic chooses to be accountable, chooses to emotionally self-regulate and chooses to make the decisions in the best interest, research shows that a child only needs one positive role model in their life. So the child's going to be okay. Now, if both parents did it, got on board even better, but that's what I tell my clients of uh, very first thing. Rule number one, you're only accountable for what you do. You can only control what you do and you are a huge factor in this. So let's make sure you're making the right choices. So that's a very foundation of my program when I work with the co-parent coaching, as well as when I work with um, the other program I have, it's rescuing the parent-child bond, which is more for the parental alienation of the parent understanding strategies, how to reconnect with their alienated child. Um, that's wonderful. I love hearing all the different dynamics that this has and takes. And it sounds like you're um, inundated with it and what it takes to have an impact with the issues <clears throat> of um, what divorce brings for children and people in between people. Um, and then the parental alienation, like you were saying, is um, another aspect of what you work with. And that would be an, a more extreme aspect of what you deal with. Yes. Um, so those are, I've kind of found myself, you know, I started off as a mental health therapist for children and adolescents. And I found um, that it's really more about parenting to make sure that our children are developing mentally and emotionally healthy as well as behaviorally healthy. So I, I switched over to parent coaching to focus on the strategies. And then I noticed the divorce, um, a lot of times during divorce, children were being overlooked because parents were so emotional about what they are going through, not knowing how to help um, their child were, is also going through the grieving process. So I focused more in there. And then I found myself working more with the high conflict. I started doing parent coordination here in Ohio. Um, and, and I really enjoy, even though it's, it's very challenging, I enjoy getting in there and helping dissolve these conflicts. But then it's, you can't work with these high conflict families and not also know about parent, parental alienation because the high conflict families are, uh, there, that's where you're going to find the parental alienation. Not every high conflict family will have it, but there's a good percentage of at least one parent engaging in a few of the parental alienation tactics, if not both parents. And that's a lot of what I'm finding is, is you know, sometimes both parents are engaging it and blaming the other parent for parental alienation. So that goes right back to my rule number one of being self-accountable to make sure that you're aware and you're not engaging in those things that are going to be harmful for your child. Wow, that's um, <clears throat> powerful, the dynamics of a high conflict family. And what you're saying is it's a higher probability with those relationships to have the parental alienation. Um, and you feel like it's um there's more cases where both parents are doing it or one um i would say and if we don't have a whole lot of research but from what i've come across um more so both parents 
And with the parents that I have in my, some of the um, ones that I have in my program, there's a good percentage of them who have acknowledged that, you know, at for some point in time, they were also doing those same alienation tactics, but now they find themselves as the alienated parent. And so, you know, one of those, on those cases that I've worked on, um, and, and I think this is a good point to make for your listeners who deal with, you know, the narcissistic abuse and, you know, if there's borderline or any other personality disorder that causes the high conflict um, personality is that that number one tactic of parental alienation that a parent uses is bad mouthing. And it's so, if you think about it, I, I, I think, you know, there are probably times that I have maybe said something that's not great that my kids have heard, overheard about the other parent. And so I know how easy it is to slip into that. And that even goes to the point of sometimes you don't even have to say anything if you don't have a positive behavioral and emotional response to a comment, a positive comment the other child's making about the parent, then that is also that that meets that same standard of you're not being supportive of the relationship and they start to shut down and not talk about the other parent. And so then that meets a different criteria of the parental alienation of where the child's not allowed to talk about the other parent when in the, the parent's home. And, um, and again, that's not, that may not be said, but kids are very emotionally, uh, sensitive to emotional contagion. So they can pick up on, oh, okay. My parent doesn't like when I talk about the other parent, So I can't talk about this part of my life with the other parent. So going back to what I was saying is that, um, you know, that very first one, bad mouthing or not being emotionally supportive of the relationship some children, especially the higher functioning children, the ones who are, um, you know, have, have more of a positive self-esteem and they're more mm -hmm. self-aware, mm -hmm. they pick up that their parent is engaging in this bad mouthing about the other parent and they just don't want to be a part of it. So sometimes the alienator actually becomes alienated and they, they just find that toxicity and they choose to not spend time with the other parent. Right. So there's, and I think that's what's really difficult for the courts is because it's not just, this is so not black and white. This is, there's so many layers and peeling off these layers and how did each, um, you know, each participant, the, the alienated parent, the, tar or, yeah, the alienator, the target parent, the child, how did they all contribute to this? Um, another important dynamic to go off of that point is a lot of times, and again, I don't have a, a great percentage of this, but I will warn parents in high conflict family, be careful around the ages of 11 and 12, because mm -hmm. that's a lot of when more of the alienation does set in. Mm -hmm. And what happens is we're now considering the developmental stage of the child to where they start to go through individuation. That's a very natural process for them to go to because by the okay. time when they go through what it's called individuation. So they're becoming, that means they're becoming a, um, a separate part of their parents. And it's a very important part or stage for them to go through because we don't want a 20 year old, a 25 year old still relying on mom and dad and not yeah. being at home eating Cheetos, right? So it, it's very normal. But with that aspect, as they need less of the parents, and then you have these other dynamics going on of a, a parent bad mouthing the other parent, then that just exacerbates that. 
So, you know, it, it becomes extreme and it's not a functional developmental um, result of that. Um, so the, those you have to be careful of. And when I've read the research, and, and this is one of the kickbacks or problems of accepting parental alienation is Dr. Um, Gardner had titled it as a syndrome, parental alienation syndrome. Mm -hmm. Well, syndrome is something that just occurs within one person. Mm -hmm. But the research has found this is not it. The child just doesn't develop this on his or her own. The child develops this from the alienator and is usually and this goes. This is kind of goes to how all parties interact in this. The target parent, unfortunately, has a normal human response to where if they start to get the disrespectful behavior that the child says, um, does or says, um, then they start to respond with getting mad at the child and or, you know, sometimes even yelling at the child, punishing the child. And then that just, unfortunately, that's called secondary estrangement to that where that reinforces the alienation. Wow. There's so much different layers to this mm -hmm. that um, it's amazing. It feels like a science or something almost. And, and we're I trying to figure it out for sure, but there's a lot of research that has to go into that. And I, it is, I'm, it is a science, but we just haven't figured out all the components yet. Um, do you think that this has been, why is this, um, why do you think it hasn't been researched or um, brought into the open very much? Well, that's a really good question. Um, so the first part of why I would say it's not researched is um, it had, think about our society and divorce. Like divorce wasn't really accepted until like after the sexual revolution, right? So that happened in the 1960s. Which um, is 40 years ago, maybe 50? Um, about 60 years ago. Mm -hmm. um, so, but we do know alienation actually occurred before then. Um, Albert Einstein was actually an alienated parent. And, you know, there's documentation and letters that he wrote and he used the word alienated, that he's been alienated from his sons in an, um, so uh, yeah, that's a, that's an interesting dynamic and story. So this has been going on. There's even cases that have been noted in, in court in England um, all the way back to 1800. So it has been documented. It has occurred, you know, it has always occurred, but um, since the level of divorce was not higher before, um, we, we don't see as much. And I do want to put a disclaimer on there. Alienation, although it is more likely to happen in divorced families, does happen in families that are still intact as well. Families that are dysfunctional, and it is going to have that, you know, uh, that abusive relationship, a lot of what you work with, where the alienator is a narcissist or a borderline personality disorder, can be antisocial, but we kind of see less of those. Or a paranoid personality disorder is, an, is the other one, I think. Did I cover them all? Um, so anyways, it can it can happen in an intact family. And it has happened. There is Dr. Amy Baker in her book, um, uh, The Ties That Bind, I think it's called, has case studies of, of adults who, as children, they were alienated as the parent, even though their parents were in the same household. 
Um, so the alienators still use the child as a pawn against the other parent. Um, so it can happen. I think that's important for your listeners to be aware that it can happen in intact families. But getting back to your question of, um, so we didn't have the amount of these cases that were happening. Mm -hmm. Another dynamic that we have to consider that isn't talked about as much, um, but Bill Eddy, who um, he's the founder of the High Conflict Institute, and I've done a lot of studying under him, taking his courses. Wow, I love him. I'm actually oh, he's so he that, he's so much fun. I I love the course we did Zoom course back in February, and he's just like the sweetest guy. He's like a it was all women and him. <laughs> he's just like a grandpa figure, but he's so intelligent. So you know a lot about him. He's written a lot of books, but what has helped him or he is he has the I think he had the LSW first so he's a licensed social worker mm -hmm. back to get his law degree so right. he he gets both aspects he, uh, he gets it from the legal aspect and then he gets it from the psychological disorder background of what's going on so extremely intelligent mm -hmm. um, he also, so, I think he worked with judges oh yeah over the judges I believe so he wasn't just an attorney yeah Oh, he, pro he provides trainings for judges. And yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so he, um, in one of his books that I read, I can't remember which one, I think it was called Don't Alienate the Children. I think it was that one. And he made note that even though we see like the narcissist and borderline personality is about six to 7% of the pop of the whole population, mm -hmm. that we're going to continue to see that go higher because of a lot of our society, you know, really is about, you know, the me generation and, and not really knowing kind of like the immediate gratification plays into that. And like, again, not knowing how to emotionally regulate. So we're going to have more cases. I think he, and don't quote me on this. I think he estimates it's going to be more like 10% in a couple of years. So we're going to see these cases continue to rise. And if you think about 10%, that's one out of every 10 people. So mm -hmm. People who are dating out there, be aware. Like, <laughs> yes, yes. one out of ten people has a personality disorder that can ruin your life. Mm. Definitely be aware of them. I shouldn't say ruin your life, but definitely <laughs> take over your life for a bit. You definitely have to invest in your treatment and recovery from that. Is that a fair statement to say? Absolutely. Yeah, because you can absolutely recover from it, but it it, it we just have to acknowledge it is one of the worst things someone will experience to be in an abusive relationship like that. Not only one-on-one, -on -one, but then when they use the children as pawns against you. So it's a psychological nightmare. It is. Yeah. So that is why, so, you know, it's more recent, um, you know, we haven't had as many di divorces earlier than that. And it does take us a little bit to recognize it. Now, I will say on the other kind of another thing that fills into this is Dr. Gardner, a lot of people um, are not big, let's just say they're not big fans, <laughs> probably at the other um, <laughs> spectrum. Um, they've accused him of being a pedophile. And again, he is the one who came up with with the um, parental alienation syndrome, which is not a syndrome, but parental alienation does exist. We just need to figure out what else to call it. Um, right. But he was accused of, of being a pedophile. Um, you know, one of his, I did, I did read um, one of his books. He wrote like 80 books. One of his books um, 
there was a child who was accusing the father of sexual abuse. Mm-hmm. He walked through the he walked the reader through the whole process and pointed out how the child was not telling the truth. I can't can't quote what exactly happened, but it did line up. It did line up to even the mother acknowledged that the child was actually had created this in and and so both parents were like, yes, this didn't, you know, the dad of course was like, I never did this. The mom acknowledged what Dr. Gardner was saying that the child had made this up in their mind. And the child actually did come back and say he was making them up. I don't know if it was that case particularly, but then attorneys, of course, attorneys got to spin this to make it look good for their clients. So if their clients being accused of parental alienation, then, um, a lot of attorneys are now arguing, well, that doesn't even exist because Dr. Gardner was, you know, they accused him of being a, a pedophile or defending pedophiles and that, you know, his, the research goes against what he said and it's not a syndrome. So it's just, and I'll tell you this, I have gotten, I, I overlap in the courts. I go testify for the courts and I have got reprimanded by an older psychologist and I've got reprimanded by an attorney who is also a guardian ad litem that I am never to say parental alienation because they look at that as such a bad word. And I find it so strange. I find the younger generation of attorneys are definitely more receptive of it. So I think the older generation was probably right in the midst of like all the fire that, you know, of, of uh, accusations uh, towards Dr. Gardner. So yeah. that dynamic plays into it of why, you know, there's a, a force that's against even looking into it. Mm-hmm. And, and it's problematic because in court, you know, one, both parents can accuse each other of parental alienation. So it's, it's really, it's a, it's definitely a mess for the courts to try to figure out. <laughs> yes, it sounds like it. Um, and I have so many questions. Um, so like you were touching on with the court system, you said you were reprimanded by a few people um, and to never say PA. Is this something that you see in, with other people's cases? Because I know you work with people uh, when uh, parental alienation is happening, are they having to not address it or? What I, what I suggest to all my clients um, is I suggest don't say it. Mm-hmm. And here's how to look at it. And don't go in and label your ex as a narcissist or borderline personality disorder because the court really frowns upon a lay person making a diagnosis. That's actually against the law. You cannot make a diagnosis of a person if you're not a licensed psychologist or a therapist or counselor. And even if you are a licensed therapist, counselor, psychologist, there has to be um, a clinical interview that's done in order to make that diagnosis. So even if your own licensed therapist says, you know, it really sounds like he has narcissistic personality disorder. She technically, I I know that happens a lot. And I think it is helpful to at least understand like, okay, this is, this sounds right. This sounds like what's going on, but she can't go in, he or she cannot go into court and say, 
you know, her ex has this because there was no evaluation done. Mm-hmm. So you don't want to, you want to stay away from labels. What you want to focus on is what are the behaviors? So my child, um, actually I, I'll tell you that <laughs> my child did come home and tell, and tells me that, you know, my ex talks bad about me. Um, and it's been years. I mean, we're probably ugh, 15 years at least. And, you know, even till the other day, and my, my son, who's 17 years old, he knows what I do. And I talk a lot about what I do. And he, he told me the other day, you know, my dad's trying to alienate you again. You know, here's what he said. He brought up what happened in court. And again, court was like 15 years ago. <laughs> so, um, you know, I think an initial a human response of a parent is to get, you know, defensive and want to respond exactly to that. But the important part with your kids, and I know I'm going on a, on a side note here, is just to focus on them. Well, well how'd that make you feel when he said that? You know, don't make it about you. Just make it about your child and what your child's going through. So I know that's a side note. Getting back to what right. you brought support. Good side note. Thank you. Uh-huh. Good side note. <laughs> so getting back to court, um, you just want to describe the behaviors of, you know, my child wants to have pictures of me over there and says they are always get ripped up. And you have to be careful about says. You have to like term, term it a different way because it's hearsay. So you have to say, my child wants pictures and is not allowed to have pictures of me over there. Um, my ch- When I call for phone calls, um, on a like regular basis, they are not returned. You know, here and there, you don't want to nitpick, but mm-hmm. if it's like, you know, he was he, he had vacation with my child for ten days, and I didn't hear from. I tried calling every day, never got a phone call back. This happens regularly when you know we're not. He's not on vacation on days that you know. But this is problematic. Um, you can say my child has started calling me by my first name. And that's one of the criteria. So you would really want to go down those 17 parental alienation tactics. Um, And then there's eight behavioral manifestations. So a a parent can engage in the parental alienation tactics without alienation setting in and the child having manifestations of it. So you talk about what the other parent did to cause the um, alienation and then the child manifestation behavior, such as, um, you know, not giving ones like giving friv- frivolous reasons or rationalizations for not wanting to visit. Um, one time I had a girl say, Oh, I don't want to spend time with my mom. Cause she doesn't give me the plans four to five days ahead of time. So, you know, that that's like, that's not typical. Now, if you say, if a child says, you know, I don't want to see my parent because I feel like all she does is yell at me and I don't feel heard or understood, well, that's a little bit more reasonable there. And we may not be looking at um, parental alienation. We may be looking at estrangement instead. Right, estrangement. Yeah, Yeah. so estrangement, let me clarify that um, because I think that's another thing that causes a lot of um, kickback for parental alienation Mm -hmm. is that there are cases of estrangement. There are cases in which a child does not want to see the other parent for sufficient reasons, such as the parent is verbally abusive of the child, the parent is physically abusive of the child, neglectful or sexually abusive. So there's there's a sufficient reason on why the child does not want to have a relationship with the parent. So that would be estrangement. Mm-hmm. Um, 
going back to the child um, behavioral manifestations, if the child starts to reject other family members as well of the targeted parent, that's when you know it's really deep because the parent has successfully alienated the, the target parent and now they're working on anybody who can contradict what the alienating parent is saying. So any friends or families that may vouch for the target parent, the alienator wants to work those people out of the child's life as well. So that's a major, that's, that's a major symptom that usually happens more once um, towards the end, um, or I shouldn't say the end, but you know, there's a lot of other things that happen first. Um, like I'm trying to think the, it's not devaluation degree. I can't remember what the first one's called, but it's really a campaign of denigration. That's what it's called a campaign mm -hmm. of denigration to where the child sets out to say bad things about the other parent and convince other parents, I'm sorry, to say thing, bad things about the target parent and convince other people that the target parent is a bad person. Mm. So they start campaigning with the alienating parent. Then we have, um, what are, I'm just trying to pull some of these off the top of my head. Um, anyways, um, so you would wanna look those up. The, the 17 alienating parent, parent behaviors, the eight child manifestation, and then you just go give examples of each one to the court, but you don't use parental alienation. Gotcha. So um, thank you for shedding a little light on that. Um, so how, okay, so the parental alienation, once it starts, do you, do you know like typically when it starts and do you know uh, like how often it's intercepted I guess there's just so many, you know, is it intercepted um, effectively through court or other, you know what I mean? So here's something, and I, I appreciate the court. I know people say a lot of bad things about the court, and I know it depends upon the type of, you know, the judge you get, but I know that I know a lot of good people that are there really to help the families. Um, so, but there is a limits of what court can do. Court cannot repair the relationship with your child. Court can put, you know, court can make rulings to say your child has to come see you. But even in that, I don't know, it's hard to enforce. I have seen cases in which, yeah, the child's supposed to come over and see the parent. The court says that over and over, the parent, the other, um, the child just doesn't come over for one reason or another. If the child refuses to, if the parent, the other parent, the alienating parent refuses to make the child go. Um, and here's one thing to consider is that a lot of times the, the alienating parent says, well, I can't make them go. Well, as a parent, you have control over your child. I mean, even into adolescence, you know, you can take privileges away and say, this is a part of your responsibility. You have to spend some time with your parent. You have to work through, you know, if it's a case of estrangement, you have to work through. Maybe it didn't, maybe it's not one-on-one, -on -one, maybe it's a counselor. Like, okay, if you're not willing to see your parents one-on-one, -on -one, then we need to, you know, work with a counselor or a coach 
to help you guys work through whatever problem you're facing. Mm -hmm. Until then, like you don't get to drive the car or, you know, you don't get to go to a friend's house, Mm -hmm. but like you decide when this happens, this has to be a priority. So parents can, parents make their kids go to school. They make their kids go to doctor's appointment. Parents Mm -hmm. do have that control, but that's a common thing we hear from alienating parents is I, I can't make them. Yes, you can make them. So, um, but the courts, I, I do have one client right now, which I am very impressed is the court has made a ruling that for every night, the, the alienating parent does not make the child go to the target parent's house. The alienating parent is charged $500 per night. So there is some kind of motivating factor there Right. In order to get the alienating parent on board and to participate. So I, I will say there are there are courts who are really receptive of this and really trying to make a difference in this. And, and we just we have to be patient. We just have to, it's a slow process, but keep moving forward on that. But like I said, I see a lot of people, especially in the, I think we're probably in some of the groups together on Facebook in which mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, my heart breaks for these people. I've seen people spend $10,000 from an attorney and say they've gotten absolutely nothing out of it. And it's like, well, they're spending all this money on court. That's not going to fix your relationship with your child. Mm -hmm. What I do, I help parents fix their relationship with their child. And I, when I started off on, you know, reading this and getting into this, I I was only taking on mild to moderate cases because, Mm -hmm. um, any kind of, um, I, I needed the parent to have, you know, pretty consistent contact with the child, the child. And some of families that I work with, um, parents I work with, they check in with me every once in a while when the parental alienation starts up again and the child starts to do disrespectful things. And I walk them through the process to lower those walls of the child and reconnect. And so it's more of like a proactive intervention or mm-hmm. prevention than then having it turn into an intervention later. But I've had so many people reach out to me who are more of the severe cases to where they don't, they have very minimal contact with their child. And I've been questioning on whether I would take them on or not, but I, I have taken them on and because they really want to work with me and we have strategized in the community. I help them um, draft the text messages that they can send to their child and how to get through to the child to start breaking down the walls. And so they're willing to have a relationship with the, the um, target parent. And I really love, I mean, th- those are the moments I love of my job. Last night, I, I got a text message or a messenger from a severely alienated parent. And I just had a session with her earlier that day. I just said, I know this is slow. And I know you wanna be down here at point F of like, you're talking all the time and you know, mm-hmm. you wanna have a normal relationship with your teenage daughter. However, she's all the way back here at A. So we need to meet her where she is and you mm-hmm. need to meet B to help her guide her along. And this is what we do. You can't jump up here. You can't be texting her every single day. And I had another parent ask me, should I send my daughter flowers? No, like slow down. That's too overwhelming. Think about it as you're, and I know this might seem weird, but think about it. If you were to go on a date with someone and you just met them and you don't have that connection yet, but yet you're sending flowers and you're texting every day. And it's like, that's overwhelming. And you're going to back up from the relationship, right? Mm-hmm. Well, 
same dynamics, same kind of relationship dynamics is if you don't have that good connection and the other person's overwhelming you of trying to connect with you, that puts the walls up and you're not going to get where, where you need to be with it. Um, so the message that I, I was coaching her through it and saying, I know this is tough, but you're doing a good job. We just have to stick the course. I know you want to jump ahead. And I gave her some analogies and she's like, I get it. It was um, four hours later she messaged me and said her daughter reached out to her and asked her to go to lunch with her for today. It was tomorrow, but it, it would be today. And she's so ecstatic. So, <laughs> so like, um, while doctor and I'm, I know Dr. Warshock in, in maybe cases in which the parents have no contact at all, those programs cost like between 20 to uh, $40,000 to go to those family camps for four to seven days and help with the relationship. I am determined to help parents, you know, for the least amount of money, um, you know, and again, I'm, I'm making progress in these severe interactions and not for the, for the programs for Dr. Warshak and Linda Gottlieb, you have to get a court order. So going through that whole process to get a court order. So I'm really trying to give parents a different avenue of, if you want to reconnect with your child, here's the strategies to do it. If you want to take it to court, you can take it to court, but you're still going to have to do these strategies. You're still going to have to invest in educating yourself on how to connect with your child and repair that relationship. Absolutely. Um, <clears throat> so would you say that your, your system, would, which helps re-engage them with their child, um, does that help them with their court cases have you seen where they don't have to go to court maybe as much because of it or i'm just so i have um i have a couple cases where the the parents just given up on court mm -hmm. because they have gone through the court process and that didn't like they do have the order and it doesn't work so then they they've come to me and they're getting that you know at least a dinner a week with their child and you know then progressing and having developing kind of like a new normal mm -hmm. and some ways that i put this with um parents as um you know especially as they're like 15 16 17 as they're really starting to break away from the parents and you know it's more about socializing and they have activities and they have a job they have schooling mm -hmm. is developing what does that new normal look like it's not going to look like what it was when this before this happened, you know, because your child was younger, they needed you more. But what does that new relationship look like? And what are you, what can you be comfortable with? So, you know, um, I have one whose daughter is 18 years old. And so that is making sure, you know, they schedule dinner a couple times a month because she's off at of college. So, you know, it's not, it, it's the same town, but and he's comfortable because that they keep that connection going. And that's, you know, um, that's the new normal. So that's another dynamic you have to consider is with the older ones, they're also transitioning into adulthood. So you have to define what that looks like for the relationship, but it's a very healthy relationship. You know, they're gonna continue to rely on that parent throughout adulthood to say, mm -hmm. you know, I had a really hard day at work. I need somebody to just, you know, talk to. And, and that's, while parents are going through this when they're, you know, the kids are younger and they feel like they've lost them. It's like, this is only a small bit of time. And I, and I do, I don't want to minimize that at all because for parents who don't, that, that must be awful right. not to be able to be a part of your child's, you know, uh, take prom pictures, you know, 
I've, a couple months ago is graduation, seeing how many parents weren't invited or weren't allowed at the graduation. That has to be so tough. But mm -hmm. if you can stay positive and stay focused on slowly building back that relationship, you have years ahead of you. You have right. grandchildren mm -hmm. that you're going to be, want to be a part of their life, you know? Mm -hmm. So, you know, not giving up and, you know, being able to take a step back from all the emotion and psychological trauma that's gone on and develop that map to, and then that's what I do with clients to help them get there. That's amazing. I love it. Um, so I'm wondering, I uh, wanted to talk more about what you do to um, your business. How long have you been doing it? I know that you kind of like uh, gra graduated into doing this from your experiences with school, right? Yeah. And so I've been working um, in the field with like uh, families for 20 years now. Mm -hmm. um, I started my own private practice business in 2008, and that was just as the parent coach. Um, so I've had my business for 13 years now. And then I started specifically working with divorced families in 2011. So 10, 10 years for specifics of. Uh, and, um, and you want, so you got into this, because uh, I can see that this is something that you're very committed to and um, brings, looks like brings satisfaction in your life. And I'm just curious how, what brought you into it? Why did you want to go down this route? Was there something that happened that caused you to want to fight for this cause? Um, so I, I went to grad school for my master's in forensic psychology, and I always liked working with kids and adolescents. Um, and I also went, so I graduated with my master's in 2005. In 2010, I went back for my children and adolescents graduate certificate. So, so specializing in that area. Um, so I always liked, you know, working with families and I, I like the court scene. A lot of, you know, when I was practicing as a therapist, therapists would hate going, getting pulled into court. I loved it because <laughs> I, I, I felt it was, you know, more of an exciting, um, and just being able to relay information to the court. I really like that. So, um, it was just kind of that, um, each, each, uh, turn took me someplace else in life. Like I said, um, you know, started off as a parent coach, helping with behavior problems, but noticing there was a, you know, a population that was kind of being ignored of the divorced families really needed a lot of help with, um, understanding what their children were going through. And then I figured out that co-parent coach, like people needed a co-parent coach to help them work out conflicts. And I've came up with an amazing program using some of Bill Eddy's techniques that I've learned um, mm -hmm. to help them have a step-by-step -step process. So it's just, it's just kind of like how life takes you, you know, it's like, you know, one thing leads to another, to another. Right. And, um, there's not many people who want to work with high conflict families. Sometimes I, this morning was one of those mornings where I'm, I'm doing reunification coaching. So this is court ordered mm -hmm. and uh, a mom's not happy with me because I'm not listening to exactly, I'm listening to her. I'm not agreeing with her. And it's, and it's being able to take that. And not, not a lot of people can take that conflict because, you know, but with working with high conflict families, a lot of times there's someone that turns it on you because you're not doing exactly what they want, but you can't do exactly what they want because that wasn't working for them before. We got to do 
what's going to work. And I have my program and I stick within my boundaries because that's what works. And that's what I had to tell her. Um, and we had to come to a respectful agree to disagree. <laughs> mm -hmm. That's, that's wonderful. Um, <clears throat> what are some of the things that you do for families? Do you have like a basic routine that you start out with or, and then you act, acclimate to what they need or yes um okay so starting with my co-parent coaching program i meet with um the parents separately mm -hmm. and a lot of times this is court order court referred i get a lot of cases out this way and i meet with them individually two to three times and i focus on developing a coaching plan with them and the procedure to follow to resolve issues during um uh, when you're trying to uh, come to a decision with your co-parent. Um, so for instance, I use Bill Eddy's Biff. He, he wrote a book um, on uh, keeping it brief, informative, friendly, and firm. Mm -hmm. And so I, I give them an infographic so that they can, as they're writing their email, or as they can keep it and make sure that they're checking off and <laughs> making sure they're staying within those guidelines. Um, so I meet with them individually, teach them the skills, how to emotionally regulate, how to problem solve, how to communicate. And then we meet together and they bring, um, each of them bring some problems that they have and they go through the problem solving idea um, checklist and, and they have it prepared. And then I'm there as a coach to guide them to resolve it through the, the skills that they've learned. So if somebody starts to, you know, use inappropriate language, I'll say, you know, uh, out of bounds here, or, you know, say I'm throwing a flag here, I related some way to sports to kind of make it a little bit less threatening, you know, a little more casual, but, um, and say, you know, which one do you feel like you violated and, and have them think through, like which rule did they break right there so that they can practice having the good habits. Awesome. That makes sense. Um, and okay, so you said that you meet with both parents. Is that typical? Do you usually work with both parents or is well, it? In the, in the co-parent coaching, yes. Because the co-parent coaching is they're both supposed to be. And again, that's usually uh, court ordered or they're even, I have referrals from attorneys. So they're trying to settle it outside of court. And we we do, I have very high success rate. And, and it's very interesting because it's like sometimes the other parents like, oh, that's all you wanted? Here, I thought you wanted to take my kids from me. And she's like, no, I just wanted to change the schedule because we're doing so much traveling and transportation. And so it gives them, I had another example of this. I have um, a couple that was referred to me um, and they've been arguing, their divorce had been over for seven years and they had been arguing in court since then, like constant filings in court. And so the court referred them to me and um, you know, the dad said, this is what we needed in the beginning. We needed some place that we can just sit down and talk and see each other's perspective and then be able to make a decision from there. So it's like, those are the comments that are really good to hear of like how much I help people and give them an alternative besides fighting it out in court. And they really, I mean, it's amazing to see. Yeah. When you hear both sides of the story, it's like, oh, okay, I, I see, I see where the other person's coming from. No, I didn't mean to do that, you know, kind of thing. That's not what I meant or intended by that. So that's really cool to see. So that's the co-parent coaching program. Mm -hmm. The rescue the parent child bond is the, um, 
I really would just work with targeted parents, although I got a referral from a GL for an alienating parent, so I'm having to, or an alienator, so I'm having to adapt my program to make sure I'm targeting some of those behaviors, which is, I don't have, I'll be honest, I don't have a great hold on that, but I'm, I'm working on it. But <laughs> with the target parent, and, it's, and this is what's good because um, with my program, the alienator doesn't always, they're not gonna wanna be involved unless they're court ordered to be involved, right? So I work on, you know, the self-awareness um, to understand, you know, the emotional response and how kids have an emotional contagion. So if you're having like a very tense emotional response, your kids are going to, and your kids are going to pick up on that. And then they're going to associate you with that aversion. So we want to make sure that you are aware of that. And then the, the next step is emotional regulation so that you have positive vibes and you're stable and so that they're going to be more attracted to that. We also go over how to communicate and put some boundaries up with the alienator. We also talk about how you can connect with your child, what are different ways, how, you know, speaking your child's love language and um, what really enforces the, the bond between the parent and the child. And so working on those then also um, talking about the authoritative parenting style because um, a lot of times the authority is taken away by the alienator. They right. change it so that the child feels that they do not have to listen to the other parent. Mm -hmm. So um, I talk about how to approach parenting from an authoritative standpoint, but it's even more, and when I say authoritative, that's the most successful, um, when raising kids, most successful um, parenting style that's providing a lot of warmth and love, but also providing boundaries and consequences when needed. That's very important mm -hmm. to develop healthy children. But you can't, as a parent, you have to be careful about, a target parent has to be careful about giving consequences and how they approach things. So I work with how to adapt that authoritative parenting style where they're still, they're still holding their child accountable, but in a way that the child believes that they're buying into it as well. So they don't feel like I'm going to say no, and I don't have to listen to you, you know, so it's coming <laughs> at it in a different direction, very um, and then just, you know, what I also, my last session is how the, the plan to keep, um, keep the bond going and red flags to look out for if you're starting to lose your child again through alienation. So that's the, my rescue the parent child bond program. Wonderful. Excellent. So many aspects. Um, so you said that it was for your co-parenting program, it was, you're working with court-ordered individuals? Um, sometimes they're court-ordered, sometimes they're referred by their attorneys. Um, sometimes I, I've, in the past, I have had parents who um, their co-parent was not willing to participate, but they, um, but they needed help because they were pulled into that conflict. So I do, if the co-parent's not willing to participate, I still take clients on because I will teach the parent who's interested in how to put up those healthy boundaries, how they can hold themselves accountable to making sure they're not adding to the conflict or getting pulled into the conflict. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, and that's because are you, I'm just curious, do you, are you assigned as a a coordinator, parent coordinator for the court? Yeah, so I do have um, 
I do for Hamilton County. I do. Uh, I am a parent coordinator. I do not have any cases as a, but I'm on the list of parent coordination. Um, I've had I've had several cases in the past, but um, I'm not doing any right now. And oh. that that does have to be court ordered, and that is that's more local. You do have to be part of um, Hamilton County. Your case has to be in Hamilton County here for the court to re refer them to me. So is that and, very and that's a little bit different because with the parent coordination, the parent coordinator has a um, has more authority to where if the parents do not come to a decision on their own, then the parent coordinator gets to write a decision just like a judge would and file it with the court. And then that's the ruling. But there are some limitations on what they can, you know, that's more for the, the smaller issues that come up that can't be taken you know, mm -hmm. or like such as whether or not the child can play soccer or, you know, um, what to do about vacation schedules because one person's interpreting the shared parenting plan this way and the other's, you know, interpreting them. So for smaller things, but um, so yeah, so that's nice. And I think the court, we just started in, in um, the court, I think back in 2016 locally with parent coordination mm -hmm. and the court, I think is slowly starting to, you know, um, assign more cases. Oh. So I've, I've had several in the past, but none currently. Is it a, do you think it's a positive then? It sounds like to have that. Yeah, well, <laughs> to be candid. So that's hard. I, I, I was told <clears throat> to people who have like the mental health background, I think approach parent, parent coordination a lot different than people with the legal degrees, because there's attorneys that are parent coordinators as well. Mm -hmm. And from some of them just like meet once and try to solve the problem. And then just, I don't know, don't do anything. But as a parent coordinator myself, like anytime a parent involves me in something and they say, well, you know, this is a problem. I'm like, let's solve it. And I'll stick to it and keep, keep solving it. Um, I will say the problem with that is, um, Sometimes again, the the one causing the problems don't don't want a resolution. So, but but this provides a resolution because the the parent coordinator can provide that information, or can write a decision based on the information. And if it goes back to court, nothing is confidential in the parent coordinating process. So the court asks what's going on to the parent coordinator. And then here, the parent coordinator is an objective person who gets to see everything that's happening on ground zero, mm -hmm. where judges only get to see a couple hours according to what's presented to them on the case, which I think would be very difficult for them. Mm -hmm. In fact, I've made comments to judges and magistrates about that before of like, I don't know how you do what you do because like I get to see everything that's happened in the case and you only get a snippet of like, what's really going on. So that has to be hard. Mm -hmm. Oh. <clears throat> That's good to hear. Um, so you, where are you located and what is the name of your services? Do you go by your name? Um, so the name of my business is Successful Parenting. And sometimes people know me by my name, Jennifer. Around here, people know just to call Jennifer Seggy. So um, yeah, and I'm located in Cincinnati, Ohio. Okay. But I do, um, I do Zoom. Mm -hmm. I've done zoom for people in spain and people in england canada so you know thanks web page huh? oh yes my web page is www.successfulparentingllc.com 
www.thepeacekeepers.com. Okay, and I'll make sure that I get that from you to post in the, um, uh, the link on here. And um, there's so much more I want to talk to you about, so you're going to have to come back. Sure, this is fun. I think people really need to know about this, especially your, you know, target audience, because if they're dealing with the, the abuse that does put them at higher risk for, you know, if there's kids involved, that parental alienation might happen. Mm -hmm. And, and obviously co-parent conflict as well. And it's important to know about it before it happens. Cause I hear horror stories of people didn't even know what it was until it was, they were already at the severe point. So, so glad you're bringing gotcha. the here audience and thanks so much for having me. You're welcome. I'll, I'll chat with you later. Okay. Right. Sounds good. Thanks Nikki. Take care, bud. Bye. Yeah.